gather together this morning as your children to worship you, to honor you, to celebrate and remember what you've done for us. Help us in this season to open our hearts even more to the realization and revelation of what you've done for us in Christ and the love, the measure of the love that you've proven that you have for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Father, so often we just think in small terms of your love for us, your love for our family, your love for the church, but it's your love for the world, for the lost, for the hurting, for the mean, for the nasty, for those like all of us that don't deserve anything. You displayed your unselfish, unlimited love by giving in our place the most precious thing you had your son's life help us to be filled in this season with the revelation of that love for us first but then that love through us for those that are around us for what this dark world needs right now what this angry world needs right now what this scared world needs right now What this crazy world needs right now is the revelation of how much you love them and you've proven it in Jesus Christ. And you've left us here as the city that shines in the darkness. Help us, Lord, to shine bright in this dark world with the light and the love that you've given to us in Christ Jesus that your desire of your heart may be satisfied, that everyone for whom you gave your son's life might come into your family and help us in this season to be messengers of that love and of that light. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you, John. Good morning, and welcome to those of you that are watching online this morning. We're glad that you're here with us also. As I say every time I'm in front of you, please don't be a spectator, but be a participant this morning. I want to thank Julian and those that have given honor to us this morning as pastors. Thank you so much. I speak on behalf of all the pastors and their wives, and I tell you that it is an honor to serve you. It is an honor to stand in this place. This church is, is, is very, is very is unique in many ways. And that what makes it unique is you. Uh, it's your love, your faithfulness, your generosity. Um, and ministry is always hard because it's people. Pastor Sam used to have this expression, ministry would be great if it weren't for people. Of course, there would be no need for ministry if there were no people. Whatever gifts God gives you is the measure of God's love for you. 
We have wonderful gifts on this staff, teaching gifts, preaching gifts, administrative gifts, but they're all expression of how much God loves you because we're just vessels through whom God communicates to us. And I've had people tell me, wow, you're such, a, you're such an amazing teacher. No, the gift God's given to me simply allows you to see Him more clearly. What blesses you is the hu- Him you can see through whatever teaching God brings through me and through these other wonderful men and women of God that we have. Praise the Lord. All right. One week before Christmas. Praise the Lord. Um, there was a radio program started, I think it was in 1976. I, I looked it up, so I know that's when it started. Um, by a man named Paul Harvey. Now that, many of you may, that dates you if you know who Paul Harvey was. You're in my, you're in my generation. But Paul Harvey has a little radio program, it's about five minutes, uh, called The Rest of the Story. And, and in that radio program, he would give you the background story of either some famous person uh, or some situation or some event that happened. And he would do it in a such a way where you didn't realize quite what, what he was talking about. And then he would tell you the punchline was what... I'll give you an example. It was one of them, I, I, I looked this up to get more familiar with it. Uh, he started the story talking about this secret plant in, in Italy. And he said, there are other places in the world. And, and it, 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 there's high security there. There's nobody around that knows what's going on there. And, and they, ha- they have hired the, 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 the best uh, automobile designer in the country to help design what they're doing there. And it's top secret. And by the time he's in this story, you're thinking it's, it's this missile silo or something, or this electronic thing back in the 70s. It wasn't. And then he comes, and the last thing he tells you, and, and what, they're build, what they're making there is pasta. And now you know the rest of the story. Well, last week we began to look at the Christmas story. There are many Christmas stories out there on television and the movies this time of year. And there's, a, you know, one of our family favorites is A, called A Christmas Story with little Ralphie, you know, hoping to get his Red Ryder BB gun. And, and, but it's called A Christmas Story. But what we talked about last week is the Christmas story. And it's a story that's this year, as in all years, will be played out in pageants and plays and stories and scriptures. And, and, and the vast majority of them are the story of Christmas from the human side. What the shepherds saw, what, the, what Mary and Joseph went through, and, what, uh, and, and everything around it that the human beings could understand. But the Bible also gives us a perspective from God's side of this story. And when you get God's perspective on what's happened, it has a greater depth and greater meaning to the story, not just because, not just because of what happened over 2,000 years ago, but for your life and for my life. And so often we look at that story from an historical point of view. Well, it's something that happened over 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, and these are the events that occurred, and the world, to the extent that they even acknowledge it anymore, that's what they look at. This is an historical event, and we're glad it happened. Most Christians look at this story as the beginning of, of the life and, and ministry of their Savior, who came and worked miracles among them, among the, the people that he was among, and then at the appropriate appointed time, he went to that cross and died for all of us, and that's the end of the story here on earth. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So today we're going to look at the rest 
of the story and how that impacts you and me. And the part of the story, just like in Paul Harvey's radio program, that we often don't think of and we often don't see. But it is critical. It is very important. So, let's look back on what we talked about last week. First of all, we looked at three things. We looked at who it is that came, who was born in that, as that baby. We looked at why he came, and we looked at how he came. And now we're going to look at those through the, uh, the other side of it, which is the rest of the story. Who came, who, we looked at this last week, who came, who was born in Bethlehem, wasn't just a little baby. It was the Word of God. John begins the Gospel, and John's the one that gives us this perspective. In the beginning, the beginning of all creation, was the Word, the full expression of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God. So this Word is the full expression of God the Father. And then it says, and He was with Him in the beginning. So now we know this Word is a person. And then in John 1.14, this is the Word that became flesh. So the Bible tells us, we looked at last week, that, that all things were made through Him. All things were made for the Father. But the One who created the earth and all of the universe that we're still marveling at to try to understand the one that created that for the Father was this Word of God. And it says, He came unto His own, and His own did not recognize Him. And it is this Word, the one who created the universe, who humbled Himself to become into this earth as a little baby. So when Mary held baby Jesus to her breast and nursed her. There's that wonderful song, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, Did You Know? Priscilla, I think, sang that last year. What what a wonderful job. Mary, Did You Know? And when, when you kissed your baby's face, you kissed the face of God. And that little baby was the being that created the universe. That's who was born as a baby in Bethlehem. The power of God to create the universe became a little baby, just like you and I did. Then we looked at why He came. He came to deliver us from the power and effects of the curse which Satan released on the world, on mankind and all of the world, through the disobedience of that first man and woman. And our lives are still struggling with the bondage of that. All sickness and disease is a result of the bondage of this curse that's in the earth. And every time I see somebody struggling with cancer, struggling with, you know, there's an ad that comes up for these children's hospitals, and you see the pictures of these little babies struggling. They're, not, they're just new in life, and they're struggling with cancer, trying to kill their life. I get angry. Not at them, I get angry because there's a devil out there that's trying to destroy their life and kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said the only reason He came... The devil is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus came to redeem all of mankind. He came to redeem all of mankind from that curse, the destruction in their lives. We have the occasion as pastors to, to, to uh, interact with a number of you 
to, to help you deal with issues where Satan's trying to destroy your family. He's trying to destroy your health. He's trying to destroy your peace. He's trying to destroy your mental condition. He's trying to destroy something in your life. And Jesus came to deliver us from that. Jesus came to deliver us from the power of sin, which is at the root of all of this. The power of sin. And if you don't think sin has control of you, try to live under the law for one day perfectly and keep it. Try to make sure every thought you have is pure. Every word you say is pure. Every motive you have is pure. Try to do that for one day and you'll find out what a grip sin has on our lives. Jesus came to deliver us from the power of that, of that sin, the power that came under that curse. The second thing we discovered is He came to, to, to bring us into an intimate relationship with Him and with God the Father. He didn't just come so that we don't have to go to hell and we can go to heaven, but He came to bring us into His family. We saw last week He came to share the inheritance that He has as a son with you and me. He came to include us, to bring us into an intimate relationship just like God had with that first man and woman before sin came into their lives and separated them. He came to restore that intimacy, that relationship. There's a devotion that I read and one of the lines in there says, we we need to gaze on the cross as completely yours, personally. Jesus on that cross is came for you, okay? Offering Himself, offering Himself to receive you personally into the closest union and fellowship with Him. The closest intimate union you can have, closer than any relationship you can have with a person on this earth. Jesus came to offer that to you, to give you what He had with God the Father. And He paid His life so that He could do that. And we saw that the third thing He came was to display God's, the part of God that He wants to display to the heavenly creation. And that is God's compassion and God's mercy. God, Jesus did not come to display God's power and prove God's power. Jesus came to prove His compassion and His love. And we talked about last week that you are, with all the mess in your life and all the mess that I've had in my life and all the things that His graces help us to overcome, you are trophies. God's going to hold you up to the angelic beings as a trophy of His grace, as a trophy of what His mercy can do in someone like you and someone like me. So we strive to live up to a standard that we hold for ourselves. And God's not trying to get you to live up to some standard. God wants you to receive His grace and mercy. And then God can do amazing things through you when you surrender your life completely over into His hands. So that's why He came. And there are other reasons. And then we talked about how He came. How He came. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, about about that today. So, many see, as I said, this is the beginning of the miraculous life of our Savior, of what He did for us. But that's just the beginning of the story. So today we're going to look at the rest of the story. We ended last week in John 1.14, one of my favorite verses. After talking about all who He was, the Word, the Word, and the Word became God, and then we heard John 1.14 says, And the Word 
This being we've talked about became flesh. We just sang about it. Became flesh and dwelt among us. That's, that will take all of eternity for our minds to grasp the enormity of Him leaving where He was to come and become a human being. Understand this. God lives outside of time. So do you ever run out of time? God never runs out of time. Do you ever get tired and worn out and frustrated? That's because you live in a human body that's under a curse. God never gets tired. God has unlimited energy. People in heaven today, they don't get tired. They have unlimited energy. Because what wears you down, what slows you down, what gets in your way is what you spent so much time looking in the mirror at this morning to make sure it looked good to bring it in here. And that's what gives you the... You know, we spend more time investing in the one part of us that gives us the most trouble. Think about that. And very little time on the inward part of us which is where our life comes and our strength comes. Paul says, well, my outward man is perishing. All the work you're doing to make it look good, you're ultimately going to fail. <laughs> it's going to die. That was a great Christmas message. <laughs> but the rest of the verse says, although the outward man's perishing, the inward man is getting renewed, getting stronger every day. So, This Word lived in unlimited resources, unlimited energy, and He gave all that up to become a little baby, dependent, totally dependent on a teenage girl and a young man to care for them. Just think, God trusted the only plan He had. God trusted the only plan He had to redeem mankind to a teenage couple who nobody knew and a young man, Joseph, who nobody knew. There was no plan B. This is it. And God has trusted His plan for this world to you and me. Let's move on. This is an exciting Christmas message. Well, it's going to get better. All right. Luke chapter 1. This is part of the Christmas story, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Yeah, keep going. Next verse. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. So they weren't married yet. They were just engaged. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. How would you like an angel show up tomorrow morning and say, Blessed are you. God has sent me to tell you, you are God's favor. Well, you do. You have God's word. You don't need an angel. You are blessed among women. Verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying. Basically, she was under, didn't understand it. Considering what manner of greeting is this? The angel said, it's going to get better. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call, as she be called, his name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Stop there a second. She knew what that meant. That's talking about the Messiah. 
She knew that. He will be great. In, okay, next verse. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said, um, Sir, you've forgotten something. <laughs> There's a minor detail here you've overlooked. I'm a virgin. I've never been physically with a man. How can this be since I don't know a man? Literally, it says, I'm a virgin. And the angel, notice it didn't stop the angel. The angel didn't say, oh, we've got to work on this one. Uh, let's get you married first and then we'll do it. No, see, God has a plan. And no matter how impossible it looks, no matter what obstacle it looks like in the plan God's put for your life, God's not moved by the obstacles. God's not discouraged by the things that look discouraging to you. God's not overwhelmed by what looks overwhelming to you because God knows what He can do through you if you'll just get out of His way and let Him do it. Told you get better. The, here's the, so the angel's not moved by the, oh my goodness, I forgot you're a virgin. Well, let's get you married quickly. No, the angel has an answer for that. And this answer is important to us. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Overshadow you. Stop there a second. The Greek, word for over, 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 uh, the Greek word for come upon you is like the word you would use for, and you just kind of fell asleep like some of you do in church. So, I just became overcome with sleep, especially when we had, you know, Wednesday night service. People were just, you know, I'm trying to listen, Pastor. But, oh. And the sleep overcomes you. It just, it, it just it comes on you when you weren't looking for it. And the Spirit, of, and it will overshadow you. And that's an important word. Because that implies like a, a, a cloud coming over. The, the, in Genesis chapter 1, in the very beginning, it says, And God created the heavens and the earth. It says, And the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the earth. It's the same idea. He's over, hovering over Mary. And He's going to come upon you. And the power of the highest, this is God's power, will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. What's happening here is the Spirit of God is conceiving in her womb what a man would have conceived if she were married in this. See, what, what happens here is this is the genius of God. That shouldn't shock you that He's a genius. Because He's going to be all man and all God. So the part of Him that's man comes from Mary. The part of him that's God doesn't come from Joseph, anointed by God. The part of him that's God is the seed that literally comes from God by the Holy Spirit that's conceived in her womb, and that seed, that egg from her body, and the seed from the Spirit of God is joined together and conceives a life in her. It's going to become important to us. And so... Uh, he said, now he said, so she, she's having trouble understanding this, and now he's going to refer to her, to, to her, her relative Elizabeth and said, this is, her, this is a message in tongues. Uh, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and now it's the sixth month of one who is called barren. But in this case, they just made Zacharias' body come alive again so that he could conceive in his wife's womb John. Because John was not God and man. John the Baptist was all man. For God, look at this, this is where we get this from. For with God, nothing 
is, I want you to say that with me. With God, nothing is impossible. Turn and look at your neighbor. With God, nothing is impossible. Look at another neighbor. With God, nothing is impossible. Now I want you to think of the biggest obstacle in your life right now. Think of it. Maybe a family member. It may be you. It may be your finances. or Whatever your biggest obstacle right now in your life is, I want you to say this way. With God, nothing is impossible. Now if there's anything that ought to be impossible, it's this. A virgin girl is going to give birth Imagine going back home and explaining this one. But Mary said, Behold the servant of the Lord, behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So regardless of how impossible this sounded, regardless of how their mind must have been swirling around, she makes a choice to receive what God said He wanted to do, so into her body. Alright. This is the rest of the story. Okay. Now, we've got to get a little background here. Jesus did not... Don't, don't throw things at me. Jesus did not just come as our Savior. If He came just to save us, he could have grown up at 30 years of age, got arrested, gone to the cross, and given his life in our place. But those three and a half years that he lived as a son of God among us, and the things that he did, he did for a particular reason. Because Jesus lived as a prototype of us, for us. Now, I looked up a definition of a prototype. It sounds very unspiritual, but this is what, it's true. A prototype is an original model on which other products are patterned. Jesus is the original model on which God is patterning, patterning you. I'm just going to, we're not going to look at him, but I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. In Romans 8.29, 8, Romans 8, it says, He's planned, He predestined before the foundation of the world that you should be conformed, that you, that you should be conformed to the image of His Son. Galatians 4.19 says, Paul said, I labored among you until Christ be formed in you. Ephesians 4.13 and the many others. It said, the ministry gifts were given among us until we all come into a number of things and it ends to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's plan for your life is that He conform you to the image of Christ so that when people see you, they see Jesus. That's God's will for your life. That's God's purpose for your life. Okay, so he's, he's a model that we're to live up to. So John 1, verse 11. So he, we're back in John. He's, he's come, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Remember, Mary received. He, his own did not receive him, that's the Jews. But as many as received him, how many of you received him? I'm going to take an altar call at the end, so how many of you received him? God's watching. <laughs> As, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. He gave you the right by dying in your place. He gave you the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name, who were born, 
How did Jesus get into this world? He was born into this world. How did you get into the family of God? You're born into the family. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man. That's all speaking of a physical birth. Not born of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, that's the desire your parents had for each other, or the will of man, but born of God. And I've mentioned this to you many times before. Little words can be so powerful. That little word of, the Greek word for that literally means out of. So a literal translation of this, who are born out of God. My body that you're looking at this morning was born out of John L. Pfeffer Sr. and Martha Pfeffer. My body was born out of their bodies. That was the will of the flesh. That was the will of my father. (laughs) But what's on the inside of me was not born from my parents. It was born out of God. Alright, just keep following me. John chapter 3. Jesus is now going to explain this. And this is, a, this is a, a, what's the background of this is a, one of the Pharisees who was drawn to Jesus. He didn't just, he didn't have a hardened heart. He was drawn to Jesus, so he, <laughs> but he wasn't that bold. He, he came to him at night, so nobody else knew he was coming to him. And his name was Nicodemus, which is why some pastors shamefully, shamelessly call him Nick at night. But I would never do that. So he comes to him at night and he says, how is it that you know, a, a man, only somebody born of God can do the things that you do? So he asks one question. And there's so many times somebody comes to Jesus with something and Jesus answers something else. So look what it says. And Jesus answered. I always went back. What was, I want to see where the question was. But see, sometimes we're asking questions that we don't know we're asking. And maybe that's why some of your prayers aren't getting answered. Your words are asking one thing, but your heart is asking something else. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly... Now, when, when the Son of God, who is truth Himself, has to say most assuredly, it's like when we say, well, I'm, well, to tell you the truth. That's what Jesus is saying there in our vernacular. Well, to tell you the truth. I always get concerned when somebody says, well, to tell you the truth. Does that mean when you don't say that, I don't know whether you're telling me the truth? This time, believe me. But he says these things because what he's about to say is so shocking, he has to tell you, this is the truth. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, this is, you know, people think, well, are you a born-again Christian? What is a born-again thing? This is Jesus' words. And we're breaking that down this morning because it's important to us. How can, go back to verse 3. Unless one is born again. That word unless means there's no other way. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Stay there. So Jesus is saying, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That means several things. You can't enter into it. 
You can't be part of it. You can't even discern it. This is why people that are not in the kingdom of God cannot understand you when you talk about things of the kingdom because they they're blind to it. Paul talks about it. It's foolishness to them. This is foolishness to most of the world. Unless you're born again, you cannot see or enter into the kingdom of God. So this is the entrance. This is Jesus saying this. Peter doesn't sit at the gate according to all the jokes. St. Peter is at the No, Jesus is the gate. He's the, he's the doorway by which you get in. Unless one is born again. Now let me break that down. First of all, born means something's created that wasn't there before. When you were conceived in your mother's womb, suddenly there was a life that wasn't there before. I don't care what our society tells you, life begins at conception. You can call it a fetus and anything you want to call it, but God calls it a life. God calls it a human being. But again, the word again means two things. So he says there has to be a, a creation of a life, and it has to be again, which means that's two things. It has to be a second time. So the word for that in Greek, the, the language it was written in, means born a second time, a second birth. But it also means from above. It has both meanings. So Jesus is saying, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born, you must have a, a life created in you that's new and that's come from above. And it's a second birth to you because it was a first birth of your body. Alright? Now verse 4. And Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Does that sound familiar? Didn't we just read Mary said when Jesus, when the angel said, The Spirit of God's going to come upon you and you're going to have conceived in your virgin womb? Jesus said, How can this be? So Jesus is explaining something similar, and Nicodemus' answer is, How can this happen? And he, he gives an explanation. How can a man be born when he's already old? How can he climb up into his mother's womb a second time and be born a second time? Because he's thinking in human terms. He's thinking in physical terms. He's thinking of this body. How can this body be born a second time? How can I get back in my mother's womb? She's probably not even there anymore and come out again. Boy, she wouldn't want it if any was here. How can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Keep going. And Jesus answered, said, Here he goes, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Stay there a second. What, being born of the water refers to your physical birth, the birth waters. Now, I've had people get mad at me and say, that's what we're talking about baptism. Jesus isn't talking about baptism here. He's trying to draw the distinction between the physical birth and a spiritual birth. And water represents the, the amniotic fluid. It represents the birth fluids that come forth. So unless one has a physical birth and a spiritual birth, he cannot enter the... So the second birth is not a physical birth. It's a birth in your spirit. Okay, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's your body. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. I know most of you know this, but we're going somewhere with this. 
Don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And now he seems to change subjects, but he's not. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it's coming from and where it goes. We talked a little bit about this last week. What he's saying is, the wind comes wherever it wants to go, and you can't see it, you can't see the wind. You can tell it's been there, but you can't see it. We have, you know, when we have wind blowing, wind storms and blow, you know, we get leaves in our yard, we get, you know, we've shared our neighbor's leaves around all this fall, you know, because the wind blows and it's going to go where it wants to go and you can't see the wind, but you can tell it's been there. So is everyone who was born of, born of, the Spirit. Notice, no, no, go back to, okay, go back to verse, yeah. So is everyone, so this birth, this birth that Jesus is talking about, that most, almost all of you have experienced, this birth occurred in you by the Spirit. Now go to the next verse. And Nicodemus said, like Mary, how, how, how can these things be? The difference here is when Mary said, how can these things be? She chose to say, therefore, but be, I don't understand this, but be it done unto me according to your word. I will receive this life that I don't understand. I will receive it by faith doesn't make sense to me. It's way beyond the concept of human understanding. But if you say so, I will receive it based on faith in what you've said. I, and she therefore allowed the Holy Spirit to conceive in her our Savior. Jesus is telling Nicodemus basically the same thing. It's because the Spirit conceives in you and Nicodemus says, how can this thing be? And he never received it as far as we had a record of that. All right, everybody okay? Still with me? All right. So, here's the point of all this. Just as God... Cons- now listen, this is, this is the message. So, listen up. Verily, verily, I say unto you, <laughs> just as God conceived in Mary's womb His Son by overshadowing the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, so He conceived in you His Son, by that same Spirit. I'm going to say that again. Just as the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary's womb, the Son of God, this this blows religion out of the waters, but it's Bible. Just as the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary's womb, which we celebrate this time of year, the birth of that child, you can see the Son of God, because she received Him, in the same way, the Holy Spirit conceived in you, the Son of God, to the extent that you received Him. Now, in some of you, He's still a little baby. Just like He was in that manger. But He's still the Son of God in you. So we're going to talk in the last few minutes about what does this mean? 
What does this understanding mean about us to His church? It's the same significance it meant for Jesus. So we looked at who it was that was born, who was conceived in Mary's womb and born in Bethlehem. It was the Son of God. It was the Word of God. So that means who was conceived in us? The same being that was conceived in Mary. The same Word... Listen carefully. The same Word that was with God, the same Word that was God, the same Word that through this Word all things were created, that being was conceived in you when you received Christ in your heart, in your life. We've got to change how... We've got to look at ourselves the way God sees us. Well, I'm just some weakling. Yeah, you are, but who lives in you? He in you makes you just as much God's child as He is. He may be in you in infancy, just as He was in the manger, but that baby was just as much God's Son in the manger as the Son of God that did all the miracles. It means you have the same standing before God that Jesus has right now. You have the same standing before God that Jesus had. We talked about 2 Corinthians 5.21 last week. He who knew no son became sin that you might become the righteousness, the righteousness of God because you're in Christ Jesus. Okay. Second reason he came was to, he, he was given a mission. The one who came in Mary was given a mission which was to deliver. We talked about that. He came to rescue the lost and deliver those who through their bondage the whole life, their whole life was under fear. And now through the church his will is to continue that rescue to rescue the lost and to deliver the bound. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus is here commissioning His disciples. And called us to twelve together and He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out. This is to men now, human beings. These are rough, uneducated fishermen. These are men that were fighting with each other, they were jealous of each other, and Jesus is saying, okay, now it's time to begin to transfer. And He gave the disciples power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Then He, then he calls the twelve disciples. Now we'll go to verse 7. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's not something coming. It's here. Well, if it was here then... It's still here now. I said it's still here now. The world is out there in darkness, but the kingdom of God is the light that's to shine in the world. And we saw last week that the darkness cannot overcome the light when we let it shine. When we hide it, it can't have its effect. Heal the sick. This is how we're to do it. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely receive. Freely give. Let's go over to, to uh, Mark chapter 16. Say, well, that's the disciples. That's not us. Here we, this is the Great Commission. This is us. Go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature. Keep going. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Keep going. And these signs will follow those who believe. Do you believe? Yes. That was five of you. <laughs> Do you believe? Yes. All right. These signs, the devil needs to hear that. <laughs> These signs will follow those of you who believe. In my name, not in your own strength, in my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. 
They will take up serpents if you have to do that. They will drink with any, they, will, they can drink any deadly thing and it will by no means hurt them. They lay hands on the sick and they might recover. What? No, they will recover. This is the commission that's been given to us. So he came to redeem and to deliver those who were bound. The second thing we saw is he came to defeat Satan's power and authority over the lives of people that he loves. 1 John chapter 3. I'd encourage you to download the notes because all this is in those notes. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. But for this purpose the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. So for this purpose the Son of God was birthed in you that he might destroy the works of the devil. You've got to see who it was that was conceived in you. Let him grow up and do what he came to do. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children. There it is again. And overcome them because he who is in you, 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 he, not he who come in you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Why are we so intimidated by the world? Because we don't know who's in us. Luke 10.19 Jesus then sent 70 out sent the 12 out then he sent 70 out and he gave them the same authority they come back and they report that even the demons were subject to us in your name and they're so excited about this Jesus has to correct them and says you know that's great I saw, the, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning so I'm not that impressed with him All right? that's great that you did that because that's what he sent you to do but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life so he redirected their priorities And now he says, Behold, this is the 70. This isn't the 12, the 70. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. That's referring to demonic spirits. And over all the power of the enemy, so that nothing shall by any means hurt you. So the authority that he walked in, the authority that he gained, he has given to the church through the one who's been conceived in you, which is him through the Holy Spirit. Okay. So we talked about who it is that came and now is in us. We talked about why He came, and that's the same reason He's come to be in us. And now we're going to talk about how He came. Very significant to us. Philippians chapter 2. I've been living in these verses lately. That's why you've been hearing them so often. Let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. There was a time when it was very popular for pastors to talk about, well, I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. I have the mind of Christ. And we confess, I have the mind of Christ. That's great. It's great in school to confess when you didn't study, I got the mind of Christ. <laughs> he studied. Okay. But he's telling you, go back to ver- oh, back, verse 5, excuse me. Verse 5 says, have this mind in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. In other words, this is the attitude, this is the way you're to think. Okay. I live in you, but this is how you're to think. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Verse 6 who being in the form of God did not, regard it, did not regard it robbery to be equal with God. Literally what that means, he did not regard the equality. So he was, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So he was equal with God and he had all the power, all the authority, all the privileges of God the Father, but he did not regard that something to be held on to. 
That's what that's saying. To be equal with God, verse 7. But he made himself of no reputation. That literally means he emptied himself of all of self. He set aside, he willingly let go of his privileges, of his rights, his status as the second person of the... So that's why he didn't come to the earth and said, Here I am, Son of God, worship me. He, he is coming back like that. But the first time, he didn't come like that. He came in this humble little baby, and I don't have time to get into why he did that. Maybe we'll do that next week. He emptied himself of who he was. He emptied himself, listen carefully, he emptied himself of self, which is why he could stand there and be insulted, be beaten, and not strike back. And then beyond that, he takes the form of a bondservant. He came to serve, not to be served, coming in the likeness of men. Let's go over to um, John 13. And we'll go through this quickly. These are, this, Jesus is now about to have the Last Supper with them. These are His last instructions to them. He's going to turn this all over to them. And so we have this story. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. That literally means to the end of His time here, but it also means to the limit. In other words, whatever they needed, He loved them to that limit. In other words, there's no limit on His love. I'll keep going. Supper being ended, the devil already had Him put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in His hand, that He comes to the Father, was going back, verse 4, rose from supper, laid aside His garment, and girded it Himself. So this is the role in any... In, and you've heard me teach this before. But in, in a household in that day, because people wore sandals, and the roads were not always paved, and, and when they were, they were dirty. So when somebody would come to your house, their, their feet would be covered with stuff and sometimes it was just dirt so when you were greeted in a house when you were coming for dinner or something there was the job of a slave it was always the most menial the lowest grade slave would come while you were being greeted or talking to somebody and while you weren't even so not even knowing it they would take your sandals off and they had a basin of water there and a towel and they would wash your feet the lowest slave they're in a room that's rented there's no slave assigned here There's a bowl of water and there's a towel so the landlord knew this was the custom to be carried out but there's nobody doing it. And what's happened here, I'm going to have to summarize the story, what's happened here is, is nobody did it. And they all know it needs to be done because it's not like you and me sitting in a chair up under a table. They're reclining on pillows next to each other. That means while my face is here, Andrew's feet are in my face. So I know Andrew's feet need to be washed. And Philip's got my feet in his face. So they knew it. But nobody was willing to do anything since there was no slave there. So Jesus gets up. And whenever he would get up, I'm sure everything got quiet. And they're kind of maybe having slight conversation. But they're watching. What's he going to do? And he went around and he took off his outer garment. And he put, on this, he put this towel around him. And he took the bowl of water, a pitcher made a bowl of water, and Jesus goes around doing the work of what a menial slave should do, what they should have done for each other, and were too proud. And he's washing their feet. 
It's wonderful because when he comes to Peter, Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. In other words, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. And Jesus said these powerful words. If you don't let me, if you don't humble yourself enough to let me wash your feet, you can't have any place with me. We have to allow him to serve us. And people that, often people that struggle with receiving Christ is because of this pride. And this is what religion does. He's so holy, he's so magnificent, I can't ever receive anything from him. That's why he came. He came to serve mankind, ultimately with his life. And Peter, of course, being Peter, says, okay, then give me a whole bath. I've got to be different than everybody else. And Jesus said, you don't understand what I've just done. And he's these powerful words. He says, you call me rabbi, you call me teacher, and I am. You call me Lord, and I am. If I, being Lord, have come and I have served you, then you need to serve one another. You can't be greater than your master. So Jesus was giving a living parable right there when they were all embarrassed to show them, I've called you so that you can serve one another. So he came as a bondservant and he's commissioned us as bondservants to serve one another. Well, how does this apply? Matthew 16, verse 23. How do we empty ourselves? The next verse, verse 24. Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, we want to be followers of Jesus. Here's the requirement. Let him deny himself. Just as Jesus had to deny himself. Just as Jesus had to empty himself of all the issues about Jesus. And become a servant. So, we're called to deny ourselves. You notice everything in the world is just the opposite. It's asserting self. The most, the, by far, the most books that are published each year are self-help books. How's it going? How well are you doing with self-help? That's what keeps him from being able to help us. Must deny ourselves and then take up his cross, which means I must be willing to bear others' burdens and then follow him. And I'll close by just telling you a story. A story you all know. Unfortunately, it was a lawyer that came to Jesus. It's always a lawyer. <laughs> lawyer came to Jesus, and it says that he came to test him. He was trying to do what lawyers will do, is to try to find some loophole. And Jesus, he said, what's the great commandment? He says, you love the Lord your heart, all your heart and all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And here's the lawyer's mind working. All right, well, let's define what a neighbor is. That's, that's where your mind's trained to work. All right, if that's what it is, what, what is a neighbor? But his motive wasn't to find out. His motive was to justify himself. That's the key. And so often that's our motive. So Jesus doesn't answer him directly. He tells a story. Well, there's this, there's this Samaritan. There's this guy going along. No, he's not a Samaritan. guy going along one day, and he's, he's, he's accosted by robbers, and they take everything he has. They take his donkey, they take his food, they take his money, and they beat him up to a pulp and leave him by the side of the road. And the bishop comes by. 
and sees him over there and says, well, he's not my calling. I'm called to my bishopric. And then the pastor comes by and he sees him, brother, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you, brother. Okay. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. And he keeps on going. And he said, the third man that comes by is a Samaritan. In order to understand this, you've got to understand, the Samaritan was some the Jews hated. They were half Jew and half Gentile. So in the Jews' mind, they had betrayed the covenant. And it was, in many ways, like a racial issue would be today. So for Jesus to choose a Samaritan is a slap in their face. This Samaritan whom you would never speak to, who you think is the scum of the earth, he comes by and he sees this man. And he goes over to him. And he takes the oil out of it. You know, he, he takes his first aid kit and he bandages up his wound. He cleans his wounds up. And he says, I can't leave him like this. So he puts him in the back seat of his Honda. And he drives him, he drives him to, the, to, the, to the, the Hampton Inn. And he takes him out. And he said, I've got to go about my business. He says, here's my American Express card. You take care of him as long as, I can, as, long as he needs to. And, when, when, and I'll, on my way back, I'll come in, I'll check on him to see what else he needs. There was no limit of what he was willing. There's no limit on how far he was willing to come, to go. Just as there was no limit on how far Jesus was willing to come for you and for me. And today, there are people out there that Jesus had no limit on how far He was willing to come, but the rest of that journey has to be picked up and carried by you and me. He emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant. That's the one who was conceived in you when you received Christ Jesus. That's the one that so many of us are still carrying around in us as a little child and not helping him to grow up to be able to fulfill in us and through us what his purpose for coming to live in you. And that's the purpose of, that's really the purpose of Christmas. It's not that Jesus was just born in Bethlehem. He was born, conceived and born in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this. How can this be? can boggle our minds. But your words are spirit and their life. And so we trust right now that the Holy Spirit takes your word and breathes on it as only he can into our hearts, not to condemn us, not to scare us, but to encourage us to breathe on the life that's already been conceived in us and make those embers begin to glow and a fire begin to birth inside of our hearts, a fire for the lost, a fire for the hurting, a fire for those who you have a fire for, a love for those that you have a love for, your love, not our love, that you would conceive in us what you've conceived in us. You'd fill us with your Spirit. So enable us, empower us to bring Christ to all of those that are around us in this world that's so dark, that's so dangerous, that's so scared. Because Jesus is the only hope of this world. And the only hope of Jesus is the Jesus that lives in each one of us. Now, Father, I pray that anyone that's watching or is in the sound of my voice or here that has never received this Jesus into their heart, 
you would help them to have the confidence right now, the gift of faith, to open their heart to receive you, the love of God, into their heart. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and that's you, I'm not going to make you stand or come up or do anything. I just want to know by, by raising your hand, if that's you, you've never, you've never received this Christ the way Mary received Him into her womb. You've never received Him. You may have been raised in church the way I was. You may have been taught to believe that Jesus, the Son of God. You may be taught to believe He died to pay for the sins of the world. But you've never received Him in your heart. You've never been born in your heart, born again. Have that Spirit of God come to live inside of you. If that's you, just raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. If you're watching online, just a minute. It may be you. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I want to just lead us all in this prayer. Those of you watching online, if you would join us, and then we're going to just trust God. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now. The good and the bad. And I put it all in your hands to be Lord over my life. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. If you prayed that with me for the first time, you just didn't have the courage to raise your hand, we're going to dismiss in just a moment. We're going to stand and we'll do one more worship song. If you would come down and see me, I'm not, I just want to give you some free material so you can have a better understanding of what you've done today. If you're watching online and you prayed that for the first time, there's a number at the bottom of your screen. If you call that number tomorrow, someone will answer that phone and we'll send you that same material we have available here this morning. So let's stand together. God's a great job today. Let's sing.